Um, I'm grateful to be a part of the Pitnaz team. Um, you know, I was at this district event yesterday, um, and I was thinking, you know, there's this significant event coming up. Something is important about the end of July. And I looked at my phone calendar and realized that today, July 24th, 14 years ago, I was baptized. Um, it's crazy because I was baptized. We were at like a lock-in. Pastor Kyle was my youth pastor. We were at a lock-in or something like that. And I was actually baptized in one of our board members' swimming pools. We all hopped in the church bus and took off to Carla's house. And Kyle baptized, I don't know, however many of us. But it was, a, it was really awesome. And I just want to say that I'm grateful to this church um, for supporting me and loving me the way that they have over the years. Um, and also, I'm grateful to the Lord for, for saving me when he did. Um, who knows what, what could have happened if, if it wouldn't have happened that day 14 years ago. So I am so very grateful um, to all of you for supporting me over the years. Um, and so before we get into the message today, we do want to kind of recap, right? Pastor Adam and Pastor Kyle have been leading us through a couple of different passages in Hebrews chapter 11. They've talked about Abraham. They've talked about Moses. And last week, Pastor Adam gave us a glimpse into the faithfulness of a man named Moses, leading the Israelites through the Red Sea. And his parents before him were faithful. <clears throat> and he was kind of telling us about this great hero of the faith, who is Moses. And before we get into the scripture and where we're headed today, I want us all to take off our, we're at church, I gotta kind of play it safe around these people, I don't necessarily know everybody hat, we gotta take off our, I'm gotta protect my image a little bit, you know, take that hat off and put on your vulnerability hat. You know, the vulnerability hat is the one where you're sitting on your couch at home and you got your shoes off and your feet up, that hat. I want us all to put that one on because before we get into the message and before we start talking about God's word, we have to open ourselves up. Because if without that, that openness to God, without that openness to God's word, it won't impact us. We'll walk out of here unchanged and unchallenged. So there's a question that I want to ask us. As we're putting that hat on, there's this question that you're probably not asked very often, a question that I'm asking of myself more now that I've got kids and a wife that loves me dearly. Um, this question I want to ask you, um, you're not asked very often, um, but I want to know, show of hands, and I'll be the first to admit, do we have any know-it-alls in the room? <laughs> Anybody willing to raise their hand? That would be me, and I want, if you've got a spouse, and they're like holding their hand down, and you know it's them, stick their hand up for them. I saw Becky do it at the Paul over there. That's awesome. Um, but that's me, often. But I'm not talking about the kind of know-it-all that's like pretentious and snobby. I'm talking about the kind of know-it-all that you just feel like maybe you have to say something a little extra just to make yourself look good, you know. I get in trouble with that all the time. Ask my wife, seriously. I get in trouble with that all the time. I think I have to act a certain way in front of a certain group of people, or I have to talk a certain way, or I just learned something new because I was watching a YouTube video or a, or a documentary on whatever, and I have to share all that information with everyone, even though I really don't know what I'm talking about, you know. I'm talking about those kinds of know-it-alls. You know, it's just, it's, there's no harm in it. It's just what it is. Um, and I'll tell you a story uh, I, I, I would consider myself a grill master, okay? Somebody who, who knows just about everything that there is to need to know about grilling. Um, I've been grilling for about two and a half years. That's, 
put that behind us. But um, whenever I first got my grill, uh, it was Father's Day just a couple of years ago. My wife bought it for me, and I thought, man, I'm going to grill everything. I want to figure this out. So I was grilling meats and vegetables and fruits and anything that I could to, that I could put on the grates of the grill, I wanted to do it. And so there for a while, I was grilling everything, probably not as much now as I used to, but um, I was grilling everything that I could. And so if you haven't figured out the Shekinah glory, the glory of the Lord that is a prepackaged, pre-marinated pork loin from Aldi, I'm telling you, after service is over, go to Aldi, get one of these things and grill it up because they are fantastic and it takes out all the hard work, right? Keeps everything juicy and nice. So my wife had purchased a pre-packaged, pre-marinated pork loin from Aldi and I preheated the grill and I thought, you know, I've done this before, probably, I don't know how many times, um, and I go and I, I put the pork loin on the grill and it's like 25 to 30 minutes per pound, so I thought, that's eh, going to take roughly an hour for this piece of meat to be cooked well. Um, so I put the piece of meat on the grill, I shut the lid, and I think, okay, I'll set a timer for 20 minutes, I'll come back and flip it, right? Um, go to the front yard, I'm not too far away, I didn't leave the house or anything, right? Um, but about 20 minutes later, um, much to my disappointment, my expectations were not what I was hoping for. Um, I walked up to the grill and I was expecting to see when I opened the lid this nice, perfectly grill marked, lightly cooked, ready to like be flipped over piece of juicy meat that I was going to be able to take out and then provide for my family later, right? Um, but I was very disappointed because upon approaching the grill, there's this little dial on the top that reads temperature and it was so hot that it wasn't even registering. So I thought, oh no, what could have possibly happened, what did I do wrong? Um, you probably aren't supposed to leave your grill for over 20 minutes at a time. But to my disappointment, I opened the lid, and instead of finding this nice, perfectly grill-marked piece of juicy meat that I was going to flip over, I found this charred brick of gnarled, twisted, whatever it was at that point, because I'm not really sure what it was, but it was curled into like this half-moon shape. And I was so disappointed, I just left the grill up with that piece of meat laying there. I walked inside and said, Andy, we got to order pizza. <laughs> I, messed, I messed another one up. Um, but that's the kind of, you know, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that pretentious know-it-all attitude. I'm talking about, like, the attitude that we have sometimes when we get it wrong, right? Because I think so often we can, we get into those situations where we think we know what we're talking about or we think we know what we're doing, and unfortunately, we just don't have all the information. We just don't know exactly what's going on, and that was me very much so in that scenario. And, you know, I think even more than that, I think as Christians— or non-Christians, or anywhere in between, I think often we can do that with God. We think that because we've done our devotionals every day for the last however many years, or that we've been a Christian for so long, or that maybe we, we heard something on YouTube, or a friend told us something, that we just, we have God figured out. But there's this Latin phrase, Deus Semper Maior, that translates the God who is ever greater. And it simply means that for every finite thing that you know about God, every little detail, every little something that you've learned from Scripture, if you learned from tradition, there's infinitely more that you do not know about God. And that's why so often preachers say, don't put God in a box, because you just can't. And so I'm grateful for a God that is ever greater, that we just don't know everything about 
who is infinitely more than we could ever possibly fathom in our minds. And today we're going to learn from somebody in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to learn from somebody who knew nothing about God. Someone who couldn't even claim that they knew anything about God because they hadn't experienced anything. They weren't part of the Israelites. They didn't, they didn't have preconceived knowledge, stuff that had been passed down to them from generation to generation. They just got some information and went for it. And the person that we're going to talk about today is Rahab. Now, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31 is where we'll be at today. But I believe we're going to do a disservice if that's the only place where we go. So we have to go back in time. But first, we'll stay here. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31 is where we're starting. And it says this. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, let me tell you, this woman gave a friendly welcome to the spies, and she was written down in history as one of the most faithful people to ever live. This is crazy to me. Because I feel like there's so many more people who could have been included in this list in the Old Testament who simply aren't. Rahab gets the final spot in the list. She's like one of the last people to be mentioned in this great list of people. She gets some of the final details of this passage. And she gave friendly welcome to the spies. And she was considered one of the most faithful people to ever live. So we have to go back in time, right? Because Rahab didn't happen. It wasn't in, in 33 AD when Jesus was around. This was a couple thousand years prior to Jesus ever being born. There's Joshua chapter 2. So the sixth book of the Bible, Joshua chapter 2, is where we're going to go back in time. And there's a three-part step series to give you some context and to give you some history before we really, really jump in and learn about who Rahab is. And it goes like this. Moses... Joshua, Jericho, okay? Pastor Adam gave us a really good insight on who Moses was and what he was like last week, right? But there's a couple of little details that need to be filled in that are significant to the story of Rahab, okay? Moses was not only the leader of the Israelites, but he was considered their military leader. Whenever there was a nation to be vanquished, he had to lead them because he was their leader. So Moses led the, led the Israelites against these two nations, against these two nations, and their kings have these names that seem like they might be from, like, Star Wars, right? King Sihon and King Og. Like, what kind of weird names are those, right? Like, those are totally original. Probably wouldn't name your kid that, though. Um, Moses had to lead the Israelites against these two kingdoms, and the king's names were Sihon and Og, and they were completely vanquished. Moses and the Israelites completely tore apart and decimated these two kingdoms led by these two kings. That's an important detail that needs to be noted. The second thing that Moses did was something wrong. Instead of speaking to a rock for the water to come out, he struck it, and God told him he couldn't go into the promised land. So Moses, as they're approaching the Jordan River, because on the other side is the promised land, as they're approaching the Jordan River, God says, it's time for you to go. Moses passes away before he can go into the promised land, but before he does, he passes the reins on to Joshua. Joshua, as any great leader would do, was being prayed over and was praying for his people and trying to encourage them because their great leader had just passed away. And he comes up to face with one of the most formidable things that the Israelites have had to face thus far, and that is the city of Jericho. So what does any great leader do? They kind of scope out the issue. They try to see what's going on to see if they can really take over and do what it is that God's calling them to do. And so Joshua sends two spies across the Jordan River, and this is where we meet Rahab for the very first time in the city of Jericho. Now, many of you have heard the story of Jericho before. 
Jericho was this, this very formidable city that had walls so thick, 10, 15, 20 feet thick in some areas. And you've heard that song, and the walls came tumbling down, right? You've heard that song before, maybe. But Jericho was such a formidable city because the walls. They were so thick, people, you couldn't get over them, you couldn't get through them, and there's no way you're going under them, because how are you going to dig that far that fast before somebody caught you? Jericho was a formidable city, and these walls were so thick that people could literally build houses into these walls. People were building living quarters into the walls of the city of Jericho, and that's exactly where the spies went, and they went to a woman named Rahab's house, who lived in the city walls, and some commentators believe close to the gates of the city walls. There's one big gate, one way in, one way out, and lots of people came through in order to do whatever it was they needed to do in the city of Jericho, right? And so the king gets word. I don't know how the king got word, but the king gets word that these two spies from the city of Israel, and remember the city of Israel had just vanquished two huge kingdoms and completely decimated all of their people. The king gets word that there's these two Israelite spies who have come into Jericho. I don't know who shared that information with the king, but somebody did. The king gets word, and he sends men to Rahab's house. Rahab catches wind that the king knows, and so she's faced with this conundrum. Do I hide them? Do I, do I expose them? What do I do? And what she does is she sends them up the stairs onto the roof of her home and hides them under flax. In comes the king's men. They say, what's going on? Have you seen these Israelite spies? We know they came through here. And she leads the king's men in the opposite direction. And this is kind of where the story picks up. I want to I read it to you. I want us to read it from the screen because I don't want us to miss any of these details. And it starts Joshua chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, and we'll continue from there. It says, before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you the land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know, that we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. In some translations, it says decimated. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and of the earth below. Wow. Now, keep in mind, Rahab isn't a part of the Israelite kingdom. She didn't get, you know, the Ten Commandments whenever Moses writ them and there was the, there was the, the clouds of, of, of smoke and fire on the mountaintop. She didn't get any of that stuff. She was living in the city walls of a city that was foreign to the Israelites, and all she got was people walking back and forth, right? Because she lived potentially near the city gate, she probably got a lot, she probably overheard a lot of things. She probably just heard people talking. She saw how people reacted whenever they heard the name of the Israelites, right? If maybe they heard the name of Moses and people started to shudder in fear. I'm not exactly sure exactly what happened. But she was able to proclaim, your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and of the earth below on hearsay, a rumor. She didn't get a burning bush like Moses did. She didn't get an audible voice, maybe like Abraham or Isaac before her. She didn't get any of that, the, the information that they, those faithful people in Israel would have had. She got a rumor. She got hearsay. And she was convinced, utterly, 100%, totally 
convinced of who God was. And the crazy thing is, so often I think, we've got in the 21st century, copy after copy after copy of a 66 volume, 66 book volume of scripture about God's miracles and about who he is and what he's done and how great he is and how good he is and the stuff that he can do and what he has done. And yet sometimes we still question. Here we are, a woman living outside of the Israelites, doesn't know the Ten Commandments, doesn't know Moses from her far distant third cousin twice removed. And she's faithful. She's convinced of who God is. And yet there's thousands of YouTube videos and Facebook posts and faithful preachers and people preaching the gospel, biblical truth and doctrinal truths, and yet sometimes we're still skeptical. And it's like before there ever was a God's word, before there ever was a John chapter 1 where, where the writer says that Jesus is the word, before that ever came to be, she took God at his word. And she was totally convinced. And so the question, the challenge I have for us today is, are you convinced? Because we've got a lot more than hearsay. We've got apologists who have, been, who have been working and passing down information and literature. People who have, been, who have been preaching the message of the gospel for a couple thousand years now. And yet some of us are still unconvinced. And before you admit, before you say, yes, I'm convinced, I'm 100% convinced that God is who he says he is, that he can do miracles and he can work miracles in my life and he's done it for somebody else and he can do it for me. Before you admit, yes, this is, I'm totally 100% convinced, what does your life look like? Because if you're convinced, as James will tell us soon, your faith will show it. Your priorities will look different. The way you treat your family will be different. The lifestyle that you live will be different. How you spend your time will be different. The way you discipline your children will be different. How you spend your money will be different. The way you act at your job when your boss scolds you will be different. You will live a life that is different. James uses Rahab to show his readers how faith is proven true by your deeds. And this is the truth that Pastor Adam and Pastor Kyle have been diving into through this Heroes of Faith series. Show me your faith by your deeds. How do you prove it, right? It's not by works. You don't get saved by your works, but you prove your faith by your deeds. James chapter 2, verse 25 says this. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. And then the king's men are coming. I want you to imagine with me for, your, for a second. Close your eyes and imagine this scenario. Rahab is a single woman. Her family doesn't live with her. She's got no one there to protect her. And she gets wind of these king's men are coming. There's, there's people from a foreign nation up on her roof hiding. And I, can't rem I don't know about the anxiety that she might be feeling. But I'm pretty sure the, 
the consequence of treason in most places at this time was death. And so she's harboring two potential fugitives of the crown. And the king's men come to her door. And they're probably not very kind. They're probably not saying things that are super thoughtful and kind and considerate. And there she is with this intense moment of decision. And she had to know. You can open your eyes. There was no turning back. Once I make this decision, once I tell the king's men, go in a different direction, I can't go back. The life I had in Jericho is no more. The life I had with my family or my friends, all the stuff that I had done, it's no, I can't go back to that. Because if I choose to go back to Jericho, if I choose to, to stay true to my king and my country, I'm going to end up dead just like every other unfaithful person who's living in the city of Jericho. And so Rahab runs upstairs, talks to the spies, and lays out a covenant with them that if she will put the, the scarlet cord out her window, you know the rest of the story, that whenever the Jericho walls come down, her and her family, whoever's in her home, will be saved. And I say, praise God for a woman who's so faithful. But this, this moment of no turning back, have any of you ever had a moment like that? The job that you were about to take or the decision you were going to make, you knew that once you confess that thing or you say that thing or you do that thing, that you can't go back. Everything was going to be different after that. Rahab was lived, you know, a couple thousand years potentially before Jesus ever came. And yet there's this passage of scripture in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 5.17, that just screams of what Rahab did. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has come. There's another passage of scripture, Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. We've got a woman who, you know, Jesus talks about a mustard seed. She had a rumor. She didn't have miracles. She didn't have what the disciples or the apostles had. She didn't have the burning bush. She didn't have any of that stuff. She had a mustard seed, maybe even less. I don't know what you would consider a rumor from the, the, the people who weren't even Israelites passing by her house on the outside. She had this little minuscule piece of faith, and she staked her life on it, and God was faithful to her. And by the way, you know the craziest part of this story? You know, I haven't said it out loud, but I know we've, I've, we've read it on the scriptures. She had no right to do what she did. And I mentioned it. She's a foreigner. God's people were the Israelites. He was faithful to the Israelites almost solely in the Old Testament. Those were his people. Those were his chosen people, the ones who he blessed so they could go out and be a blessing. He was faithful to the Israelites, not to the Canaanites, not to the people living in the city of Jericho. Not only was she a foreigner, she didn't have any knowledge. She didn't have that passed down stuff like we spoke of before. But even more than that, she was a prostitute. 
She was living a life so separate and so different from the people of God. There was no reason she should be able to to fit into the fold of God's faithfulness. There's no reason God should have been more faithful to her than any of the people in Israel. There's no reason he should have done what he did except for his grace. Rahab the prostitute. And yet the writer in James and the writer in Hebrews think that it's so important that they include this part of her story. And I think it's because of this passage in Galatians. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. And I think there's a couple of us in here who've been Christians for a long time. I wouldn't say 14 years as a long time, especially since after I was baptized, I went and did my own thing for a little while. But I know that there's some of you in here who have been Christians for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And you've given a lot over to God, but maybe there's one little thing. I don't know if it's skepticism. I don't know if it's you don't think he's strong enough. I don't know if it's you don't think he would be faithful. You've seen him be faithful to somebody else, but to you. And yet he's saying, take that thing and nail it to my cross. And maybe there's some of you in here, you're so skeptical of the word of God, you're against God, you've seen how church people have treated somebody else, or you've done something and been around someone that just absolutely hates the church, and so you took up what they did, you take up their thoughts and their feelings about the church, or maybe you feel like you're unforgivable, you feel like you're unqualified, there's no way that God could ever forgive the things that you've done. Or the things that you're doing, there's no way that God could come in and actually save you from your sin and cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness. But it says here, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and desires to his cross and crucified them there. with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want us to take a moment. God was faithful to a sinful foreigner who had less than a mustard seed of faith to hinge her life on. She made a decision that changed everything for her, and the trajectory of her life was different from that moment on. And whether you're five years old, 55 years old, or 105 years old, the message of the gospel still rings true. Jesus Christ can save you from your sin and change the trajectory of your life. Are you convinced? that you can have a place in God's family because God is already convinced and he's already done everything that it takes to give you a place in his family. And he's calling out to you right now, come and have a part in my family. And if you've already been brought into the fold of Christianity, he's saying, come deeper. Let's have some more. Let's talk. Let's get together. Come and spend time with me.
you can open your eyes. I believe there's a calling for each one of us in this room today. There's a reason that you're here. There's a reason that God chose you and put you in the seat that you're in today. Because he doesn't just want to save you from your your sinful nature. He doesn't just want to keep you from doing things that are fun or easy or whatever. He wants to take your life and completely transform it. He wants to do something new in you. He wants to take off that old life and give you new life. Whether you've been doing it for, for 10 years or 50 years, he wants to give you new life today. There's a new thing that he is doing. Are you convinced that he can do it? And so we, as we head back into worship and song, I want us to really start to consider what our life looks like. What are our priorities like? How do we spend our time? How do we treat our family? And if you begin to see some discrepancies, and if, you're, if you've been wondering why you're so skeptical, let's take this, this little bit of hearsay that Rahab had, her little bit of faith, and try to integrate it. As the band sings this next song and leads us in a song of worship to God, my prayer is that you you would take this story of Rahab and you would apply it to your heart and to your life and you would make a decision today. Am I going to stay in Jericho or am I going to go be with the Israelites? Are you going to stay where you're at and decide that you don't need to change, that nothing needs to change in my life? Or are you going to let God completely transform everything from the inside out? Are you going to let him have that little thing that you've been holding on to? Are you going to let him have that stuff that you just can't seem to shake? Are you going to get rid of that addiction? Are you going to, by his power, let go of those things that you've been holding so tightly to? If you're convinced and you're saying, yes, God, yes, I want to let go. I need to get rid of some of this stuff, I, this unforgiveness that I'm feeling, this, this stuff that I just can't shake, the shame or this guilt that I'm holding on to. God, I want to get rid of it. How do I get rid of it? All you have to do is ask. Pastor Adam has used this illustration a lot has a little bit to do with Christmas, but a lot to do with your birthday as well, right? God's grace is a gift. And our faith, our action, our faith in action is unwrapping that gift. Take the bow off the top and open the box. And his grace will wash all over you and wash you clean. And so if you find yourself in one of those places today, I'm just going to ask that you pray. Pray for your friend, pray for your family member, pray for yourself. Come to the altar if you want to. Find, find a pastor or a, or a Christian friend after service and have them pray for you. Do whatever it takes with your little mustard seed of faith to come and know Jesus.